So again, it's, it's really good to see you guys. We'll go ahead and open with a word of prayer and get started. We're, tonight our lesson is going to be the first principles of the faith. Uh, and we're going to talk about Holy Scripture. We're going to talk about Scripture tonight. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I do thank you for this night. I thank you for the wonderful chance and the privilege and the joy of coming here and sharing your truth, your word, your, your, your love and your grace um, with the men and women here in this room. Um, each one of us in this room represents struggles and doubts and fears and hopes and dreams and lord you know us all you know us inside out and my prayer is that you'll use these times in our lives this time in our life this struggle this battle uh this this war that we're going through is a way to draw us closer to you and to help us to know you more and to believe you more and to receive you more and walk with you more so please take this time that we have together tonight and use it for your glory and our good in christ's name we pray amen all right so I wrote a little. I wrote a statement down. Uh, if I, if I, well, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, I found this today on social media. Um, the guy's name is Dustin Benj. He's a pastor, and this is what he wrote. I want you to think about what he says here. The Bible is better than visions, more reliable than emotions, greater than miracles, more trustworthy than experiences, and stronger than tradition. Do you want to know God? Do you want to hear God? Then open up your Bible and read it. Right? And so the foundation of our faith, this scripture, is not emotions, feelings, uh, uh, dreams and visions. All of those kind of things can be manipulative. The enemy can use those types of things to manipulate you. But in the garden, the very first question that was asked in the garden was asked by Satan. And he asked Eve, did God really say that you couldn't eat from all these trees? So what was the devil doing? He was questioning what God said. And he was getting Eve to question what God said. So as soon as we fall away from Scripture, as soon as we fall away from God said, then we are on very thin ice. Right? And emotions, feelings, experiences, traditions, all of those kind of things will lead us astray. The Scriptures do not lead us astray. Now, the enemy can use the Scriptures to lead us astray, can he not? Do y'all remember when, uh, do you remember when the devil tried to tempt Jesus to jump off of the, the temple? What did he say? Well, the first thing he said was turn these bricks, these bricks into bread. And what did Jesus say? Man does not live by... Bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what gives Jesus life? His word, God's word, His Father's word. And so the devil tried to get him turned to bread and stone, and he said, "No." Scriptures say that you shall not cast your foot upon a stone. Yeah, yeah. So, so he said, the first thing he said was, "Turn these bricks." in this uh, bread and Jesus quoted scripture at him and went to the book of Deuteronomy and said man does not live by bread alone but every word alright and then the devil uh, carries him up to the temple and says okay you want to use scripture well here jump off of here because it is written so who's saying that the devil devil. it is written and this is Psalms 91 he who dwells in the shelter of the most high God will abide in the shadow of the almighty I'm sure y'all read that before Mm -hmm. well in that verse it says this it says, um, when you put your trust in God, that His angels will carry you on your wings and you will not strike your foot upon a stone. All right. So what the devil is saying is this. Hey, if you really are the Son of God, then jump down off of here and let me see the angels catch you because God promised that they would catch you. So let me see Him keep His promise. Show me that you're His. 
show me that you're his son. Show me that he's got you. Mm. So the devil uses Scripture to try to tempt Jesus into jumping off the temple. Now, what the devil forgot to mention was, after it says he will, so that you do not strike your foot against a stone, it also said this, you will tread on the lion and the adder. Right? With that same foot that those angels are protecting, you will stomp on the lion and the adder. And who's the lion and the adder? The devil. So the devil started the first part of that verse, but he didn't want to finish it because he didn't want to talk about that foot that was going to eventually crush his head on the cross, you see. And so the devil can use Scripture. So we need to know Scripture. We need to be in it. We need to fill our minds with His truth. If your mind is filled with His truth, there will be no room in your mind for your doubts and His lies. Every time that Jesus chides his disciples when he says what? Oh, you of little faith, right? Well, if your faith is not established on the promises of God, then it's a false faith and it will drop you on your head. Okay? Faith is not subjective. Faith is objective. What do I mean when I say that? Faith is not subjective. Circumstantial. Yeah, it's not subjective. Okay. There was. A, I don't know if y'all got to see the presidential debates the other night. Oh, no. No. Well, the Pence and Pence and Harris had. They had a. It was a, actually a decent debate, and they were talking. And Pence says something to Harris. She was. She. She says something that just simply was not true. And what he said to her was this. He said, "Ma'am, you are entitled to your opinion, but you are not entitled to change the truth." And that was a. You know. So. And and that's kind of what I'm pointing to here. So. Subjective faith is a faith that says, well, I feel like. Well, I think that's subjective faith because it's based on what? You. Right? Objective faith means a faith that is in some object. And what is the object of our faith? The Scripture, the promise, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And how do we know Jesus today? We know Him through His written Word. That's the only way you're going to know Him. It's the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that breathes life into a dead man and gives him eternity. It's, and that's it. It's not dreams. It's not visions. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not None of that is going to give you eternal life. It is the promise, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God working in accord to bring life to a dead man. You see? And so we need to know the Scripture. So let's look at, let's go ahead and look at that first um, statement. It says this, The Holy Scriptures is all-sufficient, certain and infallible rule or standard of the knowledge, faith, and obedience that constitutes salvation. It's all-sufficient. What does that mean? Don't need nothing else. Right? All the commentaries in the world are not God-breathed. They are good, and they're good tools to use, but they are not Scripture. All of this creed that we're reading out of here today, this is not Scripture. It is not God-breathed. It's a useful tool, but it's not Scripture. Only Scripture is all-sufficient and certain, right? What does it mean to be certain? You can count on it. An infallible rule or standard of the knowledge, what we need to what? No. No. Faith and obedience that constitutes salvation. Although the light of nature and God's works of creation and providence give us such clear testimonies to His goodness, wisdom, and power that men who spurn them are left inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient in themselves 
to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary for salvation. What does that mean? It means that God speaks to us in two ways. He speaks to us through natural revelation and He speaks to us through specific revelation. You can go to a third world country right now and find a group of people that um, have never met a missionary in their life and they're running around naked and and, uh, and they're a hunter-gatherer society and wherever you are in the world, you go find them and one thing that they'll all have in common is they'll all be praying to something. To the river or to the sun. Why? Because all of us are created in the Imago Deo and we all have within inside us a knowledge that there is something bigger than us running things. And so just simply nature itself impresses upon us the reality of a God. Right? But nature can't save you. Right? Nature can be beautiful. Birds and bees and flowers and trees. But it can also be typhoons and hurricanes and, and, you know, tidal waves and and earthquakes and fire. That's nature too. I I don't mean to offend anybody here that's Catholic, but Pope Francis said something just the other day and and a part of his statement was this. It was basically like saying, well, uh, the the flowers, uh, the the rain gives its water to the flowers and to the trees and the trees share their oxygen with so and so. And and he was talking about how all of nature thrives on itself, you know. And one of the statements he made was this. And living for others is a rule of nature. Right? That's what he said. Living for others is a rule of nature. No, it's not. No. You think about a lion and a warthog. That warthog is living for others, isn't he? But how is he living for others? By getting his throat ripped out. You see? Nature does not live for others. And we as human beings in our nature are selfish. We don't live for others. We live for ourselves. What's gotten every one of you in here in trouble in your life is being selfish. If you struggle with drugs and alcohol, you are a selfish person. Thank you. You have indulged yourself and God has shown you how empty you are. That's just the way it is. It's an idol. You have been worshiping an idol. You have been pouring your life into something that is a creation and not the creator. And if you continue to pour your life into the creation, the creation will destroy you because the creation is cursed and fallen. Only God, only Yahweh, only Jehovah can give us life. You see, And so it's very important for us to remember these kind of things that um, although nature is good and beautiful and God has given to us to express who He is. Now, we know we're not pantheists. God is not the sun and God is not the moon and God is not the stars and He's not the atoms in the air. God is the creator and we are His creation, but He has given us creation so that we can know Him. You see? And so what it's saying here is even though those kind of things leave man unexcusable, Even the little third world country guy that has never heard about Jesus Christ will stand and be judged by God. Now you say, well, he did never get a chance to hear about him. If you're that concerned, you need to go find him and tell him. Because God is going to make sure that everyone who is supposed to hear the gospel hears it. The trumpet's not going to blow until the last person that he died to save is saved. That's when the trumpet will blow. And so the reality is is that there are people that have died. Listen, when you read the Old Testament, I can promise you that the, there's plenty of people out there, Amorites and Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites and all of those ites out there, and half of them never knew who Yahweh was. Never even had a clue to who He was. Never heard the Gospel and died without hearing it. But the natural revelation around them made them aware that there was a God, and what did they do with that awareness? They rebelled against Him and rejected Him and turned to the creation instead of the Creator. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. 
The natural man is in rebellion to God. And so even somebody who has never heard about Jesus or the gospel or anything, they know that there's a God. Romans 1 says they know He's there, but they willfully suppress that truth and unrighteousness. And so every man will be judged based on what he has seen and known. And nature tells us there's a God. Everybody knows it. Even the atheist knows there's a God. Right? The atheist will argue with you all day. He say, what does he say? He said, uh, I don't believe in God and I hate Him. You know, it's like, right, what in the world? You don't believe in God and you hate Him. Right? If, if, if He's not real, what are you hating? Right? You, know, you never see the atheist go to the mall and protest Santa Claus. Have you ever seen an atheist have a, a march against Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy? Nope. nope. No, why? They're not real. They're not real and they know it. Yeah. But God, they rebel against. You see? They're willfully suppressing that truth. They don't want to deal with it. Because deep down in their heart, they're having a conviction. Deep down in their heart, they, their conscience is, is going off all the time. Even little kids, even little fellows, when they little, just barely old enough to walk, they, they know there's a God. And they know that they're in trouble when they're in trouble too. I think I shared this with y'all one night. It's one of my favorite videos on, on social media. It's a little boy. He's in a pamper. No shirt, no shoes, and a pamper. And uh, the video is a mom walking into the kitchen, and his little leg is hanging out the trash can. He's head deep in the trash can. Right? <laughs> and the mom says, what are you doing? And he comes out of the trash can with two handfuls of trash and looks and sees his mom and turns around and waddles out of that room, dropping the trash as he's going, getting rid of the evidence. Right? <laughs> That little kid ain't even old enough to talk yet. He barely walked. But what does he know deep down inside? I've done something wrong. See, God has given us a conscience. We created in His image and we have a conscience. Now, a lot of us in this room have seared that conscience through hard living, you see. And we, we're not able to, to sense that wrong as, as, as good as we used to could. But if you'll get into His Word... His Word will bring that back to you. right? One of the frustrations you're going to find as a child of God is, well, it's not really frustrating, but one of the, the, the frustrating things you'll see is is that the more you walk with Him, the more aware you're going to be of you're not walking with Him. You know, like the more you grow in your knowledge of Scripture and the more you walk with God, the more sensitive you're going to be to the fact that you're not do, you're, you're not living it. You, you know what I mean? Like you, you're gonna yeah. that that thought's gonna come across your mind, a thought that you used to would have embraced, and now it grieves you that you think that why? Well, because His Spirit lives in you, and so the Word is very important because nature alone cannot convince uh, convince us or save us. Nature cannot save us. Only God can do that. It says, In consequence, the merciful Lord from time to time and in a variety of ways has revealed Himself and made known His will to His church. And furthermore, in order to ensure the preservation and propagation of the truth and the establishment and comfort of the church against the corrupt nature of man and the malice of Satan. So, so what are the two things? What are two of the things that the scriptures help us with? The corruption of man, right, and the malice of the enemy. So, by having the written scriptures, I have something to defend myself against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, he, and so God, through different ways, has spoken to men so that we can have His Word. And it was His will to be written down in all its fullness. And the manner in which God formally revealed His will has long ceased. 
the Holy Scriptures become absolutely essential to men. Now, um, what he's saying is, is that there's no new Scriptures. Okay? So if somebody comes to you and they say, Brother, i got a message for you from God. If they don't open up the Scriptures, say, No, thank you. I don't need that. Because, listen, what somebody's doing, if they come to you and say, Brother, God has placed on my heart, i got a message, i got to tell you. This is from God. What they're claiming is inspiration. They're claiming that God is speaking through them. And they're putting words in God's mouth. Alright? You've got to be careful with that. We live in a world today where everybody's doing that. Man, i got to, listen, i got a message for you. If they say they got a message for you from God and they don't open up the Scriptures and share some Scripture with you, say, no thank you, I don't need that. I don't need that message. Because if... If they truly have a message from God, then what God is telling us through their message is that His Word in Scriptures is not enough. <laughs> and if it's not something that goes along with the Scriptures, then it's definitely not from God, and it's a lie. <laughs> so, if it's not from God, it's a lie. If they, if they tell you it's a message from God, and it doesn't back up what the Scriptures say, then they're, they're overcoming Scripture. They're, they're, they're saying that there's something more that God wants you to know than what He's already told you. And that's what the enemy always does. Did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? Well, we, can't even, we can eat from all these trees out here. We just can't eat from that one tree over there. Touch it or we'll surely die. You're not going to die. God knows... That when you eat from that tree, all right, watch. What, what does the devil do when he does that? Cool See, words in God's he, yeah, God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know the difference of good and evil, and you're going to be just like God. Now, watch this. Because when they bit that fruit, their eyes were open, and they did know the difference in good and evil. But they found out how unlike God they really are. You see, so when the devil puts words in God's mouth, He's the Lucifer, the light bearer. He's, he, he tells you things you want to hear and, and things that are sometimes very eerily accurate. But there's always going to be that little twist on His Word. God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to know the difference between good and evil, and you're going to be just like God. And that's what somebody who comes to you and says, i got a message for you from God is saying. I am a prophet. That's what they're saying. I am a spokesman for God. I'm going to tell you something that is not in the Scriptures. Something about you. And see, there's the problem right there. I'm going to tell you something about you. Because the Scriptures, the Word of God, is about God. The Scriptures are God-centered, not man-centered. They're about Him. They're about what He's done, not about what we do. You, you see? What, it, what does the Scriptures teach us that man has done? From the very beginning, what happened in three, right after he created us? What has man done in Scripture? Rebelled against him. Turned our backs on him, turned away from his truth, and chased after a lie. And that's what we do. So you need to be super careful when somebody comes to you and says they got a message for you from God. If they're not opening up a Bible and reading a text of Scripture to you, please don't listen to them. Now, I say that in love. Because there are a lot of sincere people out there that are trying to help you and trying to give you advice 
but they're not God. And they don't know what tomorrow's going to bring for you. They don't know. And our natural fallen nature feeds on that. Oh, if you can just let me know something. If I could just know like God does. That's what got us in trouble in the garden. Oh, if I could just know what tomorrow's going to bring. Or if I could just know that what job I need to take. Or if I need to date her. Or if, if, if I need to... Oh, if I just knew. Well... The Scriptures give you guidelines for all of that. Just trust His Word. You don't need somebody coming in and adding to His Word. It's a very dangerous thing, y'all. I say that in love. I mean that in love, and I say that in love. All right. So it says that um, He caused His revelation of Himself and His will to be written down in all its fullness. And as the manner of which God formerly revealed His will has long ceased, the Holy Scriptures become absolute and essential to men. He's not coming down and speaking to us through angels anymore. The book of Hebrews addresses that. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God at sundry times and in divers manners spoke to us through Moses, through the prophets, but now He has spoken to us through His Son. Right? And so what it says is, what did Jesus say on the cross? What was the last word Jesus spoke on the cross? It's finished. It is finished. Right? It is finished. Jesus is the proclamation of the Father's promise. And now we have that in all its fullness. We have an empty tomb. We have a king sitting on his throne. We have the hope of eternity. We have all of that. We've got it. And all we have to do is trust the way he's revealed himself to us. And that's through his word. So let's look at a couple of these passages. Um, I actually have cheated and I've gone ahead and looked these up. All right, and I've got them printed out, so I'm going to read them for you. Um, but you do have the you have the citations. You'll be able to go back later if you want to do some own, your own meditation and studies on what we're learning here. Okay, so um, Psalm uh, 19, one through three says, "The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard." All right? So, and y'all see what he did there? You see what this statement has done? The first statement says that the Holy Scriptures are all sufficient, and although the light of nature and God's works of creation and providence give us a clear testimony of his goodness, his wisdom, and his power, when we spurn them, we are left inexcusable. So then he turns to the book of Psalms and says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork. So, what is the book of Psalms saying? That God is screaming out to us through nature. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night speak knowledge or reveals his knowledge. That's Psalms 19, 1 through 3. Um, Psalm 19 is a very good psalm. If you want to get a chance to meditate on it, I think it's, I'm going to say it wrong probably off the top of my head, but I think it's Psalm 19, 1 through 6. Speak of the natural revelation of God. And then verses. Uh, 7 through 14 speak of the specific revelation of God. So you can divide it up. The first part talks about how He talks to us through nature, and then the second half of the psalm talks to how He speaks to us through His uh, Word, through His law. Uh, sweeter than honey uh, from the honeycomb. At the, very, the last verse of it, that is, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Right, yep. And so what is he saying? God, I want the words that come out of me to be the words that come out of you. Like I want you, you, I want you to change my heart into my mind so that the things that come out of my mouth and the things that come out of my heart are pleasing in your sight. 
And so that's a really cool song because it shows us both God's natural revelation and then the end of it shows us His specific revelation. Right? Um, so if you get a chance, check that out. Proverbs 22, verse 19 through 21 says, So that your trust may be in the Lord, I have taught you today even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsel and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the word of truth that you may create correctly answer him who sent you? So you see what see you see what they're doing with this statement is they're they're making a statement, but then they're going to the scriptures and saying this statement is based on scripture, not scripture based on this statement. Like so the their foundation of the writings that they wrote was the scriptures themselves, and now they're pointing you to the scriptures so you can understand that. Look at Isaiah eight twenty. Think about this one. Now remember what I was just telling you all about that. Look, look what it says. To the law and the testimonies, Isaiah eight twenty. To the law and the testimonies. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Dawn being the light of day. Alright? To the law and the testimonies, this is Isaiah 8.20, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light in them. Okay? Luke 16, um, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let him hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Do you all know where that comes from? That's the story of Lazarus. Remember? Just go back and tell my brothers about this place. Just put a drop of water on my tongue. Where was he at? He was burning in hell. And he said to Jesus, he said, what did he say? Go tell my brothers about this place. And this is what Jesus said. They have the law and the prophets. Alright, now think, Jesus is right. This is in the book of Luke. But Jesus is alive when he's making this statement, right? So it's going to be 60 years before the book of Luke is even written. Matter of fact, there's no New Testament right now when Jesus is walking around teaching. So what does Jesus say? Go, he says, go tell my brothers about this place. And Jesus said, they have the law. What is the law? Uh, no. Leviticus. And- Good. The, okay, so let's, let's, get, let's get that straight really quick. Um, does somebody still have the... Well, we don't need it. Alright, so the law is the Torah. That's the Old Testament. And it's the Pentateuch. Genesis, Pentateuch, Pentagram is five-pointed. So the first five books of the Bible is written by Moses. That's the Pentateuch. That's the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the the law. The prophets, was, and he did a very good job on it. He, he, he had a song that he learned when he was a kid, and that's how he's able to do that, by the way, guys. He knows the trick. Yeah, I know the trick, too. So I have a, I, I got a rapper named Shia Lin that does it for my kids now, and so I know it from them. So it goes, um, it's Genesis, X, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judge, Ruth. So, so it goes, um, it goes Isaiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, name, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And so it's um, those are the prophets. The prophets were the ones that spoke for God. So Jonah was a prophet. Zechariah was a prophet. Malachi was a prophet. And God, remember this now. You born, if you're in here and you're a born-again, blood-bought child of God, you're going to meet these guys in heaven one day. What are you going to do when you walk up to Zechariah and he's going to be like, Hey, how did you like my book? <laughs> And you're like, oh, was that in the New Testament or the Old Testament? <laughs> right? 
What you gonna do when you get out there and you meet somebody, you know, Hosea. Hosea's a real dude. Married a prostitute, right? I mean, he, he had a rough life. Yeah, yeah. And so what are you gonna do? You get out there, Hosea, and be like, how did you like my book? And you say, oh, I didn't read that one, right? How many, be honest, how many of you when you go to church and they say, turn to the book of, uh, you know, First Chronicles. How many of y'all go to the table of contents before you go there? Right? Right? Yep. All right. So that's it. I'm, I'm, why am I saying this? Because I love you and I'm challenging you. This is God's promise and you need to know it. Chronicles is a rough read though. Huh? Chronicles? Chronicles? Yeah, Chronicles is a rough read. Yeah. Most people die in Leviticus. Most people don't make it through February in a through the year Bible program. Usually by the time they get Leviticus, third book, they just quit and go to John. I've read Leviticus several times. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, learn it. Learn why we have the Old Testament. So, what? It, let me get back because we got to finish. There's ten points in this lesson, and we're at point one. So y'all see where I'm at. I'm Baptist, and well, we like to talk a lot. So, Jesus said to that man, "They have the law, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they have the prophets." Tell him to go to them, and if they won't believe those, they wouldn't believe it if a dead man came back from the grave. And that's true. Because I want you to think about all of the millions of people that witnessed Jesus' miracles live. Millions of people saw his miracles. Right? Now watch. What you know what they would say when he would do it? Show us something else. Let me see something else. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. And it never made them believe. Those miracles never made them believe. Watch this. When Jesus rose from the dead, after he rose from the dead, the only people that saw him were the believers. He never again showed himself to the doubters, to the miracle-chasing crowd, the crowd that was chasing just to see a miracle. He only showed himself to his believers. And there was only like, what what was it, 500? Right, so of all of those millions of people, the day that he ascended into heaven, there was only about 500 there. Yeah, the same go up. Why? Because they believed what they saw with their eyes, but they didn't believe in him. They liked the miracles, they liked the magic, they liked the bread, the manna, the they they liked all of the that. They liked the uh, prestige that come with wearing nice robes. Right, they they liked all of that. But when it came to dying to self and living for Christ, when it came to selling everything you have and going and following Him, they turned away and walked away sad because they have much stuff. That's the rich young ruler that did that. Yeah. You, you see how that works? And so, if you will not believe through hearing the Scriptures, you're not going to believe. Because that is the means and the method that God uses to save people. If you're in this room today and you're saved, it's because someone came and shared the gospel with you and you heard the scriptures and the Holy Spirit took the scales off your eyes and ripped that stony heart out of you and gave you a heart of flesh and filled you with His Spirit. It's His work and His Word that saves us. So let's wind down um, because I know y'all got donuts and things like that in there and that's good. (laughs) So I do want to finish at least point one. We won't get to point two. but So... um, Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. We might have hope. So the way I want to finish this lesson tonight, I want you to turn with me really quickly to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24, and I want to show you something. Matthew, Mark, Luke. 
chapter 24. And when we... When we're in Luke chapter 24, this is known as the walk to Emmaus. Um, this is the uh, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's fixing to reveal himself to his disciples. But before he reveals himself to his disciples, he actually reveals himself to two men walking down the road. So um, remember, all of his disciples, all of those that had been following him, were all brokenhearted. Peter and the apostles, the disciples, were all hiding up in a in a in a upper room of a building like scared little girls afraid they were going to get arrested and killed like him they were afraid they were terrified they were hiding and they were broken hearted their messiah the one that they thought they had come to set them up as rulers to reign and rule on the earth and the poor blessings of riches and all this good stuff down on them had literally just been nailed to a cross and died and so all of their hopes have been shattered they're hopeless and they're broken and they're sad. And so look what it says. And we'll start in um, verse 13. It says, Two of them were going that very day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of the things that had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached them and began traveling with them. All right, so here's these guys. They're walking along. And Jesus comes up and starts walking with them. And it says uh, their eyes were prevented from recognizing them. That's important. Think about that. They weren't able to see him, were they? No. Right? And why? Because of the sadness and the doubt and the unbelief. Everything that they had been hoping in just was shattered in front of their eyes. But to natural man, what looked like death is actually eternal life for for the spiritual man, you see. So they can't see it yet. And so he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you were walking? And they stood still and looked sad. And one of them said, named Cleopas answered and said to him, listen to what I ask him. Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have taken place these days? (laughs) Think about that. Are you the only one that don't know what happened? What's What's the irony in that? He's the only one that does know what happened. <laughs> right? And it says, he said to them, uh, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word and sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him and sentenced him to death. But we were hoping that it was him that was going to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Uh, and so, look in verse 25. So now he's going to chide them. Oh, he says, he said to them, Oh, you foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Where does Jesus go right away? The prophets. Why? Because the Old Testament prophesies his death. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he screams out on the cross. Mm-hmm. They, they cast dice for my clothing. That's 900 years before he was born, his own grandson David wrote and said that they were going to gamble for his clothes. Mm-hmm. You know? And so he points them to the prophets and he said... Uh, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? Then he began with Moses and with all the prophets and explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So what is Jesus doing? He's explaining to them all things in the scriptures. And what you and I have to remember is this. There was no Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. It wasn't written yet. So what does Jesus point them to? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judge, Ruth. He's pointing them to the Old Testament, to the law and to the prophets. All right, now look at this other appearance. Uh, go down a little bit to verse uh, 44. He, this is when he reveals himself to his disciples, and look what it says there. Now he said to them, These are my words 
which I have spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds for what? To understand the Scriptures. Alright? Are you with me? So what is Jesus doing? He's pointing them to the Word. All of the miracles. He's... He's rose from the dead. He's standing there alive again. And he's not talking about his resurrection, is he? He's talking about how he's fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies. Because God's word is his promise. And unless we know his promise, we won't believe his word. And so he's he's sharing these things with them. And so what do we learn from this? Believing is not seeing. Or or seeing is not believing. They saw all kind of miracles. You saw all kind of miracles here. You've seen people's lives turn around and get sober, right? But did you know that's not going to save you or get you sober? That's just monkey see, monkey do stuff. The only thing that's going to sober you up and the only thing that's going to save you is God giving you a new heart. And where does that come from? The Word of God. And that's where we need our focus. That's what Jesus does. He points, not he don't point your eyes to the empty tomb, which is very good to see. That's a proof that he's not there anymore. But he points them to the scriptures, how the Old Testament said that as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. Like it was already screaming out that he was going to rise from the dead. And so the foundation that we need is God's promises. We need His Scripture. So we'll finish prayer tonight. Let's close with a quick prayer. I want to thank you all for y'all's time. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for Your Word. Your Word is truth, and by it we can know You. I pray for every man and woman in this room that You will give us uh, a, a sincere desire uh, to feed upon Your Word and to grow in our knowledge of who You are and to to stop looking to our circumstances and to our experiences and to our dreams and visions and, and all of those suspect things and help us to focus on Your truth, Your Word, Your promise. Help us to see You in all of Scripture. Help these guys to have a hunger and a desire to feed on the bread of life. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.